guys. So uh, help me with this. Last Sunday, I was in a winter coat. All right? I don't understand it. Good to see you here today. And uh, I get to talk to you today about Colossians. Um, a lot of people have a life verse. You familiar with this concept, life verse? Uh, it's often a, a, a Bible verse that people will have gravitated to. Maybe it spoke to them at a certain time in their life, or, or maybe it, it got them through something, or maybe it resonates with their identity. I don't, I, I don't know. But, but for whatever reason, it's something that has come to kind of anchor them and define them. Uh, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm curious. Does, that, does someone here have something like that, a, a verse that you really just kind of run home to? Okay, like three of you. So... That's cool. All right. All right. No, that's cool. Um, Colossians is my life book. And what I want to do is I want to just kind of describe how that came to be and, and, and take you on the journey here. Um, it was the end of my first year of seminary, April, May, weather a lot like this. I was withering on the vine. I went to seminary expecting this like incredible spiritual experience as though the people who were gathered there were going to be kind of in this like nouveau monastic experience going on and man the spirit would just be raging and, and, and this, this love and devotion and community would just be like alive and I came to that end near the end of the first year I was at SEM and you know, it was anything but. We were seriously considering transferring out after that year. And we were dying on the vine. We felt disconnected from the community, disconnected from the faculty and the people that we were going to school with. There was no sense of, of that, that monastic experience in all the right ways that, that, that I kind of described. It was, it, it was, it, it was dead inside, dying on the vine. And I happen to be getting into this conversation on a day a lot like today. So the friend of mine, we weren't close friends, but we, we, you know, we were on friendly terms and, and would chat every now and then. His name was Paul Dunbar. Dude got like a call to Idaho right out of the Sam Rock on, you know, when other people are going to Nebraska or something. Just what's that about? Um, good guy. And literally in passing, in, in passing, this wasn't the subject of the conversation now, in passing, he just happens to mention, yeah, my wife and I were trying to memorize Philippians. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Philippians what? No, Philippians. Like, like, the, whole, like the whole book? Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> right? It struck me. See, I had never been around someone that tried to do something like that before. Now, don't get me wrong. I grew up in a Lutheran school having memory verses shoved into my brain and having to do it for a grade. But I never met someone before who voluntarily would subject themselves well, you've tried it to that kind of misery and frustration 
over that length of time to memorize swatches of the Bible in big chunks like that. And I got to tell you, it not only struck me, it convicted me. I wasn't doing something like that. I got to tell you, there was something about it that in some kind of like sick, twisted, perverse kind of way that I kind of wanted. If he told me that he was memorizing like two verses, like, oh, that's cool. What's on TV? But there was something about the extremity of it, about the commitment of it, about, about the level of it that was like, there's something there that I want. Not to mention I was going to let Paul Dunbar outdo me, all right? I mean, let's be honest. That was part of it, too. And something happened that day where I kind of said to myself, I'm going to do that, too. Which, of course, leads you to the place of, like, what are you going to do? I'm not going to do Philippians, because that's, like, total copycat. That's lame. I'm not going to do Psalms. I mean, come on. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jude feels like a complete write-off. <laughs> so start paging through. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Four chapters nestled right after it. I'm going to memorize Colossians. And that conversation started me on the journey that day. So how do you do it? Well, I thought this, you know, what if I do this? What if I start with a verse a day? What if I just do one verse, get down one verse, and then add to that one verse every single day? And so that was the, the flight plan that I set up there that day. So I opened it up. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. All right, no, was that spiritually moving to you? <laughs> and having this question. Okay, do I, let's get to the good stuff. Do I even need to bother with that this day? But of course, then it struck me. If I don't have Colossians 1.1 down, I can't say I've memorized Colossians. If I don't have Colossians 1-1 down, I really don't have the book. And then it started to struck me more. Does God actually have something to say in every verse of the Bible? Is there something actually important in every verse of the Bible or just in the favorite verses that come our way? And so it began. I read it. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in Timothy, our brother. Got it. Can I do it without it? Mm, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in Timothy, our brother. Do I got it? Paul, couldn't get it. Could not get it down. I could sort of get it. I could kind of get it. Could not get it down. I would look at it again. Couldn't remember it. I would go back at it again and again throughout the day. I would try writing it out. Could not get it down. It struck me how weak my memory had become, how much it atrophied, how lazy and fat my mind had gotten how out of practice 
I was that day. I had to get OCD on this. And those of you who have been around me, you know what that looks like. I had, going back again and again and again, fighting tooth and nail to get down what I considered a throwaway verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And that's how my journey through my life book of Colossians began that day. My son Ben, he got bored the other day. He's 11. You know what he does? He decides, I'm going to memorize the periodic table. He gets it down. <laughs> right? I give him Colossians. He'd have it in a month. <laughs> Could not get it. And I know some of you feel like that too. That no matter how hard you try, how matter, no matter how much you go after it, your mind just won't work that way. It's like trying to run for the first time. Do you guys ever try to run? No, because who would, right? <laughs> trying to run after not being on a track or a treadmill in 20 years, or trying to like lift weights because your buddy invited you to go with him, and you get on the stack, and you're like, oh my gosh, why would anyone do this? It's what the experience was like. But I fought for 1-1, and I got it down. Whew. Only 432 verses to go, right? And so comes the next day, day number two. Jeez, what am I going to do? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus. And it started... An incredibly painful journey there that day of trying to get that book down. But I stuck with it, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 22, 26, chapter 2. I realized something. I didn't, I didn't remember half the stuff I was reading. I didn't understand what it meant. I mean, I'm literate. I understand what words like Paul and Christ and peace means. I know how to read a sentence. But where is he going with this? What is this about? It led me at several points to kind of do things like this. Maybe you've done it too. You know, maybe I should just set it aside and, and make sure understanding is what counts, right? Let's just put Colossians aside and let's just read a book about it first or maybe wait until I hear some like cool messages on it and, 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 and help it contextualize and frame it for me because I don't want to be ritualistic here. I don't want to be just like guilty of going through the motions and turning it into superstition here. It's got to mean something, right? And I was ready to do it, but I knew if I didn't, I wouldn't have Colossians memorized. And Paul Dunbar would have Philippians down. And that wasn't going to happen that day. And I discovered something through the process. Something interesting. That as I went through this letter, much of which I didn't really understand, Coincidentally or serendipitously, chunks of it would come up in my mind throughout the day. I'd be engaged in something completely other than Colossians, and a phrase would strike me. 
I'd be wrestling with something or at a crossroads of something or thinking through, trying to process one of the, the hundred daily decisions we have to make in life. And something from Colossians would come up in that moment. I would just be thinking or meditating or, you know, straight up just zoning out. And phrases, words, verses would begin to speak. You know what I mean? You know? Throughout the day, I discovered that somehow by going through this process, God started to imprint things on my soul. And I will use this language and stand by it every step of the way. God started to speak to me through this letter of Colossians in ways I would never have dreamed. Now, if you've been here with us at FOF for any length of time, you know about these memory challenges that we have. If you're newer with us, there's a number of things here that we call faith challenges, personal, daily faith disciplines or practices that we encourage you to make to make a connection with God, something that goes beyond an hour on a Sunday morning, but something that permeates your life regularly in an everyday kind of way. It, it involves things like, like reading the Bible, but one of the key ones that we do is memorizing texts. If you've ever tried it and cursed me for it, you can go back to Colossians in 1997 on that spring day. And I know there's a lot of you here who have tried it. And in my time, Doing that here over the past few years, I've had the chance to have a lot of conversations with a lot of you who have engaged in the process and shared with me the utter frustration that you have in trying to get the passage down. Telling me things like I used to struggle with and still struggle with today. I can't remember it. My mind doesn't work that way. It just doesn't stick. I don't understand what I'm even memorizing and walking away from it mad or walking away from it sad because you feel like an internal failure in some kind of way. And I know that for the vast majority of the rest of you, because of fears of things like that, you hold every memory challenge at arm's length. Not even willing to step into that water and engage. And as I've been thinking about this, it, uh, it kind of reveals to me something. It reveals to me a, a mistake that I always I also used to make about Colossians. And here it is. Do you realize the goal of this is not to get it down? The goal of memorizing Colossians is not actually to memorize Colossians. The goal of memorizing anything in the Bible is not first and foremost to get it down. The goal is this, the process. It's the process 
of spending time with God in an intentional, direct way. Not just for a minute in the morning, but throughout your day. Because when you memorize, you can't just leave it to a minute in the morning. You've got to go back to it throughout the day. The goal is the process of opening a heart and inviting God in to the entire day to speak, to flash things on your mind, to call you back, to convict you, to bring you into focused time with him. And it was through this process that I came to fall in love with this little four-chapter letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison to this church in a city called Coloss. Let me just share a few things that have struck me about this letter since then. First, let me help you kind of contextualize some things. Here's Colossus. Can you find it? Bam, you got Ephesus. Ephesus is the mothership. Ephesus is the city in the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And just west of Ephesus is a bedroom community called Colossus. Now, the church in Colossus was not actually founded by Paul. It was founded by a guy that Paul did some jail time with, a guy named Epiphras, not to be confused with Epaphroditus, who we met in Philemon last week. I don't know why E names were the things in Palestine that year, but they were, all right? It was founded by a guy named Epiphras. And while they were doing some time together, Epiphras started to tell Paul about this incredible fledgling community of believers that that, that sprouted up from his work of sharing the gospel in that little town there called Colossus. Now, you need to understand a little something about the makeup, the demographic of Colossus to really get at the heart of what Paul writes to this church from prison that day. See, Colossus was a hodgepodge. A lot of the people who lived in Colossus were actually not from, well, Colossus. They were from here, a place that you and I would call Greece. And these Greek transplants, these immigrants, these, these whatever you want to call them, who settled in Colossus, brought with them, of course, their Greek philosophies, their Greek religious practices, their Greek spirituality. Now, second, there in this town of Colossus were a lot of Galatians and Phrygians, pagans, Galatian, Gaul, Gaelic, Irish, You got it? No, they weren't Irish, but it's the same people group. All right? And with all that kind of pagan Irish spirituality and pagan practice and religion of their day. But see, there's this ancient um, historian. His name is Josephus. And he writes that there was also a lot of Jewish transplants in this city of Colossus. People who got, who got exiled there, who got transplanted there, or who settled there when they fled as refugees through the, the numerous exiles and wars and issues throughout their day. So here in Colossus, you have three groups, all with their own unique religion, philosophy, and spirituality. 
You have the Greeks. You have the pagans. You have the Jews. All swelling together, swirling in one conglomeration, growing up side by side. And what typically happens in any case like that, borrowing from each other, learning from each other, drawing on each other's insights and wisdom. And it's into this and their quest for deep truth, for deep answers, for deep spirituality, that Paul writes this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because I've heard about you, Paul writes next. And I thank God in my prayers for you. Because I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from this hope that you have, that you heard about and learned about, and the word of truth, the gospel that Epiphras has brought to you. He starts to talk to them and praise them for this hunger that they have. But subtly, and it's easy to miss, he begins to redirect them as well. Because see, these people in Colossus, they were hungry for the deeper things. And have you ever been hungry for something and you just didn't feel like you had it? Have you ever gone to a place looking for spirituality? Have you ever engaged in a practice looking for that deeper thing. Only to find that when you got there, when you got into it, it didn't do anything. And you found yourself dying on the vine. And what Paul writes to them is this, do you want spirituality? Guess what? I've got it. Do you want spirituality? Guess what? I know where to find it. Do you want spirituality? Listen up, Colossus. Listen to what I have to tell you. And what he enters into next is the anchor, the heart and soul of what Coloss and Colossians is all about. Do you want spirituality? Here's where you'll find it. In Jesus. And in Jesus alone. Listen to this, this hymn, this song that, that Paul writes that's right at the beginning. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, 
the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Can I ask you? Does that sound spiritual to you? Does that sound like the essence of spirituality to you? And then here's the kicker. Paul goes on to say this. You want it. You're hungry for it. I know it. Listen up. You know, once you were, you were enemies of God, you were alienated from God. And it was because of you. He says, because of your evil behavior, it was because of you. God wanted deep, nourishing connection with you, but you were once alienated from him because of you. But now he has reconciled you by Christ, by his body, by his physicality through death, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Or as he'll say elsewhere, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That spirituality, to the nth degree, is found in Christ. And then Christ comes and says, let me be a part of that with you. You in me, me in you, it's in you. The depth of what you want is in you. There are some of you here today, some of you who are in Christ, and you feel like you're dying on the vine. You feel like the soul is shriveling up inside. I know it. Hear what Paul has to write to you and say today. It ain't dead. It ain't gone. The depth of all spirituality, or as Paul will put it elsewhere, the depth of wisdom and of understanding of enlightenment and power, of God's energy and truth, God's revelation. It's in you. It's in you. If Christ is in you, it's in you, no matter how much you feel like you are shriveling on the vine today. And that's what Colossians is about. But see, here's the issue. What I just said, that sounds like it should be good news, doesn't it? I'd put money down on this. I'd put money down on this, that for a lot of you, who I've just said this to, who are feeling this way, 
it sounds like anything but. I bet for a lot of you it sounds like anything but. That's good news. This is what it is. This is all I get. This is how I feel. There's nothing more, no secret that I have yet to untap. I bet it actually sounds like bad news to some of you today. Well, Paul knew that too. It's what the rest of the letter is about. I encourage you to read it, to work through it, to work through it slowly, to see all that God has to say. But what he does is takes the Colossians who find themselves in this place and seeks to reground them, to reground them in Christ, to ground you in him. And to say that if Jesus is in partnership with you, to start living out that partnership with him, to live as though you're resurrected because he's raised, so you are too. To live as though you're crucified. He died, so put to death the evil things and your life too. And it's there in that that Paul guides a fledgling community of believers into the depths of spirituality that they were hungry for. I, uh, I don't know how many of you here today really hunger for deeply spiritual things. But if you do, God has got good news for you. You can find it in Colossians. At least I did at a time when I was dying on a vine. You know, uh, I'd like to invite you to rise. Band's going to come up. And uh, if you're withering, let's pray. Let's tell them. If you're hungry and searching, let's pray and tell them. If you're disconnected, let's pray and tell them. I invite you to take a few moments with me. And let's come to Jesus, the mystery of God, the repository of wisdom and knowledge here today. Let's pray. Once we, oh God, were your enemies, alienated from you, 
and separate. Some of us, God, are here wondering if we are alienated from you. Enemies and separate. Surely, God, all of us deserve to be alienated from you. Called enemy by you and separate. But you chose to reconcile us through your son Christ. Through the breaking of his body, through death. To bring us into your, your family. Connected to you and rooted in you. holy in your sight, without blemish. And free from any accusation. Thank you, God. Thank you for the unlimited extent of your love and your forgiveness. and the deep nourishment of the soul that can only be found in you. Forgive us, Lord, for everything that we put in the way. Forgive us for all the times we seek to supplement and supplant you in a thousand ways. Hear hear our prayer confession, God, as we pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name.